Awesome. Yeah. So I was being serious about the group participation. Everybody stand up, please. <laughs> Woo, this is going to get fun. It'll only be two, three minutes. I doubt any of you will be sitting down. But if I say something that you cannot say yes to, feel free to have a seat. You are alive. You have breath in your lungs, thoughts in your mind, blood pumping through your heart. You have a bed to sleep in and a roof over your heads at night. You have people in your life that care about you and that are there to support you. People that you love and that love you. You live in one of the most privileged countries in all of human history that's founded on personal choice. You are always content. Content is defined as a state of peaceful happiness. You are always content. Pretty much or always? It makes sense why you're so content. You have your grandbaby. So we have everything that we need, all the basics, but yet none of us live in a constant state of peaceful happiness. And I could have added more to that. You have a savings account. You have multiple cars. You have multiple houses. You go on vacation often. We have so much excess goodness in our lives, but we still don't feel like we have enough. Why? It's a deep question, one that I hope that you take home with you. If you ignore me for the rest of the time, just ponder that question. Why am I not content even though I have so much? You know, we're fortunate that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount spends a little bit of time looking at the topic of contentment, of being in that state of peaceful happiness. You know, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount now for like four months and we got about a month and a half left. After that, just so you know, we're going to be moving into more shorter topic-based series. So if your attention span is just overwhelmed by the length of this study, don't worry. Instant gratification will come back to you. But we see right now that Jesus seems to be making a slight transition in his focus. He just spent a lot of time, a decent amount of time, talking about a person's motivation to be liked or to be admired by others. Now he begins to explore the deeper motivations we have to make ourselves truly happy or content. You know, for me, this makes sense. As I spend some time thinking about myself and the people that I know, it seems that the approval of others and our desire to be content are two of the main motivating forces that we have. So many of our belief systems and choices exist so that people will either like us more or that we will be more happy. You know, we do many different things to secure our happiness. But one of the most common and the one with the strongest allure is through wealth. You know, we're going to be looking at Jesus' sermon, which is in Aramaic, and wealth is defined as money or riches. You know, it's through, it makes sense why we seek wealth for our contentment. 
Through money, we're able to provide for ourselves, have fun, and look prettier or cooler. You know, this is why money is a universal, has a universal appeal. It doesn't matter if you lived in the first century Palestine or 21st century America. It is logical that wealth will provide you with what you desire, contentment, happiness. Think about how you would feel if you had a new car, a new boat, a new mountain bike, $10,000 to spend at Anthropology or Ikea, a freezer full of T-bones, a membership at the nicest gym, or a house on Skyline. When you hear those things, does it make you feel the way that it makes me feel? A somewhat subtle but very real belief that that would make me happier. Because Jesus knows the human condition, he battles this belief head on. We're going to look at three different parts of his battle. The reality of this life, the power of our perspective, and the power of money. So we'll start with the reality of life. Let's get to Jesus. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. We've got three different sections of scripture that we're looking at, and it's three different subpoints for that. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, Jesus points out the very obvious thing that we so often forget. Things in this life are temporary. Money and what it, very, what it provides is by its very nature fleeting. Here today, gone tomorrow. Through metaphor, Jesus describes why everything goes away. Moth and rust consume. I don't think he's talking literally here, but rather about time. Thieves break in and steal. Again, I don't think he's being literal, but talking about circumstances. The things in your life that you work so hard to get, that you so easily believe will bring you lasting happiness, will inevitably fall victim to the ravage of time or circumstances. With time, toys break. Houses fall apart, styles fade, and our bodies get older. Through circumstance, bank accounts get smaller. Possessions get damaged and stolen, and bones get broken. When anyone takes a single moment to consider the reality of this life, it is undeniable that everything is temporary. But we so easily lose sight of this truth because we are created for the eternal. Genesis 1.27 kind of gives us a little bit of a gateway into this topic. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, there's different answers to what it means by his image. But I want to take a little time exploring why I think this means that we are eternal. God is an eternal being. Part of being created in his design means that we are too. We have an eternal spirit or soul. That is why God warns Adam and Eve in the garden that if they rebel against his plans for their lives, that they will die. When they do rebel, they are unable to remain in God's presence because he's a source of eternal life. Therefore, their bodies, along with the rest of the world, become temporary. 
But just because they chose to rebel against their creator and suffer the natural or logical consequences doesn't mean that they changed the fundamental nature of their design. If you keep reading through the Bible, you'll see that humanity's eternal peace still remains, our spirit or our soul. When our bodies crumble, which they will, our spirits go to a place that does not end. Heaven with God, hell apart from God. Now, I say all of this to point out that because we are designed for eternity, we long for things that are eternal. This is why we look, when we look to things of this world to bring us lasting contentment, and they do not, we get so worked up. No other creature operates this way. Animals stay focused on provisions for the moment or the season because they are not created with an eternal component. Geeses do not mope around because their favorite spot of the lake is not there. Bears do not lock themselves in their den when their mates die. They just keep doing what is instinctual, whatever they need to do to stay alive. But humans' instincts are different because we are created with an entirely different framework. We long for happiness and love to be permanent because we are eternal. Solomon, who's described as the wisest man of all time, king of Israel, wrote this in Ecclesiastes 3. He, speaking of God, has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity into man's heart. This is why Jesus is telling his disciples not to make the temporary their treasure. He deeply understands our design, and he knows that when we invest fully into things that will soon disappear, how disappointed and disenchanted we will become. Instead, he encourages us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Now, heaven is a word that's used to describe a place where God resides. I don't think it's like a physical place. I think it's just a place in his presence. It is the world of the unseen that has a major influence on the world that lays before us. It's a place where light breaks into our darkness. And Jesus is instructing his disciples to use a temporary time and resources that they have been given to invest into a world that is eternal. Now, a major way, if not the only way we do this, is by focusing on God and people. God and people are the only things in this world that contain eternity. If you think of something else that does, please let me know. I've been pondering this one all week. Everything else is momentary. But God is unchanging and everlasting. He has always existed and he always will. As a century and millennia have rolled on, God has remained unchanged in his goodness and his provision and his protection towards people. Now, I know people seem a bit different. They come and they go, billions upon billions. They are born fresh and new, then they grow old and wrinkly. Some are here for a full lifetime, others just for a moment. But what we forget is that our bodies are what are temporary. Within every fragile and impermanent human frame lies a perpetual spirit, an ageless soul. Long after the physical fades, the spiritual lives on. 
Again, this is why Jesus tells us that the main thing that we are created to do is to love God and love others. Our creator is our endless source of life. When we pursue him, we will continually be filled to the brim. He alone has the ability to bring us this type of contentment that we so deeply long for. And people, they're the only things that we can pour into and have an eternal impact. As we love others, there are times when we impact their souls. When something deeper within them clicks and they are truly comforted or they feel worthwhile or they see a genuine truth that changes their perspective. And this is what people do for you as well. God and people are the only things in our lives that have the ability to satisfy our desire to live out of our eternal design. This is why Jesus instructs us to pour our time, our energy, and our resources into the things of heaven, the creator of everything, and the people that surround you day after day. Now, when he, he then goes on to say that our tre- where our treasure is, there our heart is also. The things or people we invest our time, energy, and resources into become the most precious things in our lives. It's easy. Take a moment to look at your life. Look at the past year and where you put your time and your energy and tell me that is not a straight equal sign to what is most important to you for the last year. Your heart, that's the core of who you are. It's your mind, your emotions, your willpower. It is what makes you you. And what you make as your priority is where your heart goes. So when you believe that the temporary will bring you contentment, the deepest parts of who you are fall in line. Your mind, your emotions, your willpower will support your belief systems without question. Let me give you an example of this. For a good 12, 13 years, I was a full-blown pothead, you know, stoner. From the time I was 15 till I was 27, 28. And I would continue to do that time and time and time and time again. Even though my past would be a train wreck, I would continue to want to get high. Even though my marriage was about to fall apart, I would continue to want to get high. You know, God stepped into my life and freed me from my, my addiction and fully changed my world. After he did that, I happened to be in North Carolina studying the Bible, and one morning I was walking down to the lake, and I just remember it plain as day. This thought came to me, this realization, that I used to believe that if I was high, things would be good. Did not matter when I looked back at my past and saw what getting high led to. At the deepest parts of who I was, I believed that getting high would make me happy. And so my heart, my mind, my emotions, my willpower fell fully in line with that belief that the temporary, that the sensory was what was going to give me what I truly wanted, contentment. I think that's why Jesus, as he continues, looks at the power of perspective. Let's look at Matthew 6, 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. 
Now, I believe there's at least two meanings here. First, it's literal. What you look at has a major effect on who you are, on your heart. If you continually flip through magazines or scroll through websites that highlight and promote money and the things that you can buy, then your mind, your emotion, and your willpower will desire these things. Now, I think the second meaning is more of a metaphor. Like one's eye can stand for a person's perspective, their understanding, their deeper beliefs. When you have an eternal perspective understanding that the temporary things of this world will not satisfy, then your mind and your emotions and your willpower will operate out of that perspective and they will be healthy. But if you believe that the temporary will bring you contentment, then according to Jesus, your heart will be consumed by darkness. Whoa, Jesus, that's a heck of a statement. When we focus on the fun or the beautiful things of this world, we will be swallowed whole by darkness. So is he stating that we should all become monks or nuns? Sell everything good, give it to the church, go live up on a mountain in scratchy robes and do nothing but kneel and pray and eat? I don't think so. Some people do, obviously, but I don't think so. I think he's more referring to the power that wealth has when someone believes that it can truly satisfy. That's what he goes into. The next verse, it's the power of money. Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one or love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, money. Some people say mammon. It's translated as like a god. Now, when you look at the Aramaic, the language master means the same thing for us, but I want to point it out. One who exercises authority over someone or something. This idea of authority. Now, it seems like Jesus is referring to the darkness that comes when a person makes money or wealth, the things that money provides, their master. Paul kind of falls into the same mindset in 1 Timothy 6. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. And I love his view on contentment. We're not going to focus on it, but pick it up. For we brought nothing into the world, so that way we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Man, now according to both Paul and Jesus, money has the ability to grab a hold of a person's heart and cause them to do things that they otherwise would have never done. But it's not wealth alone. Rather, it is when we see wealth as our treasure, when we desire or develop a desire to be rich, a love of growing in our richness and in our wealth. Our consumeristic culture continually feeds into this faulty perspective. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Every year there is a shinier car, a more high-tech phone, and a more beautiful style. 
This, appro- this approach to producing more and more direct, directly plays into our belief that the temporary can ultimately satisfy. When we see the new style on the Forerunner, the way that the iPhone 11 operates, and the way that Ikea's new line of furniture combines both simple and beautiful, we believe that if we have that, then we will have what we need to be content. But then a day... A month or a year goes by and they release another round of the spectacular. And once again, that desire is within us to have what they are presenting. Our consumeristic culture is an environment in which it's so easy to be lured into the belief that the temporary things of this world will make us truly happy. And so without us even knowing it, the desire to want more and more can become our master. It subtly, sometimes overtly, guides our thoughts and our choices. We work harder so that way we can have the money to remodel our homes, to fill our closets with the newest line, or to upgrade to next year's model of whatever toy we like. Because we believe that the advertisements are accurate, that the newest whatever will make us prettier, cooler, thinner, happier, We submit our time and our energy to the pursuit of more. We make it our master. When we do this, we can very easily lose sight of who we are. Listen to me now. We are children of God, created in his image. We have been purposefully made to love God and to love others. We have an eternity knit into the fiber of our beings, and we will, only be, we will only be in this world momentarily. The things of this life are temporary, and they are incomplete. Only our creator and the specific plans that he has for us can bring us the contentment that we need and so desperately strive for. It is out of this lens that we should live our lives. So as I start to wrap it up, I want to challenge you. Strive to live out of an eternal perspective. Find a way to daily remind yourself that you are eternal and that this world is temporary. Write the word eternity on the mirror in your bathroom. Get a form of jewelry or a tattoo that symbolizes this. Find a verse Write it down and put it in your car. Let me give you two verses that came to me today. This is Paul continuing on the same train of thought. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see that? He gives us things for enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, doesn't quite fit. (laughs) Thanks, Josh. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that is really, really is life. And how sweet of a reminder would that be every morning to read that? We're a shorter one. We're going to look at this next week. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
everything that you need, both basic provision and things for enjoyment, they'll all be given to you. I challenge you to daily bring your mind back to the fact that you were created to operate in an eternal state and that the only way you can, and this is the only way in which you can be truly satisfied. Retrain your brain. That lasting contentment will only come when you invest your time, your energy, and your resources into the eternal. Remember, that's God and people. This doesn't mean that you will reach a state of unchanging, peaceful happiness. We will never be fully satisfied this side of heaven. However, when you intentionally bring your mind back to the truth of who you are, it will allow the Spirit of God to bring you the peace that he promises. Even though we are continually bombarded by the belief that the temporary can satisfy, you have the ability to live out of a different view of this world. But it requires you to be intentional. Come with me before God for a quick prayer. God, I ask right now that you would just put something within our minds, within our emotions, within our willpower, within our hearts that just sits with us, that we cannot shake, whether it's a word or a phrase or a thought or a verse. Maybe it's just like a feeling of conviction. But I ask right now, we came before you. We came to this. We came and sat here for this time because we wanted to make you a priority. So because of that, I ask that you would do something within us, that you would reach out of the spiritual and into the physical and that you would give us something that we can apply to our lives so that way we know you more and that we are closer to that state of peaceful happiness.